the initial article that kind of sparked this empathy debate, kind of one of the arguments that was being made is this idea that when you're empathetic to someone, when you enter into their suffering, there is this danger that you'll just be consumed by their suffering. You'll lose your objectivity. You'll lose your ability, as you alluded to, Jonathan, to speak truth. I think there's a false dichotomy that's been created there, where either you enter into someone's suffering and you're consumed by it, or you have to maintain this distance. And I think that right. that Christ offers us a way that is so much deeper and richer than that, that transcends that false dichotomy that's been laid out before us. Welcome to the season finale of Shake the Dust, Leaving Colonized Faith for the Kingdom of God, a podcast of KTF Press. My name is Cy Hoekstra here, as always, with Jonathan Walton and Susie LaHood. We are going to take uh, some questions from listeners today We're gonna, uh, about things that, that people wrote in about or things that we've heard um, just over the course of our doing this season and try and, and wrap this up and celebrate a little bit uh, having done this this thing over the course of the last five months or so um that we're all very uh excited that that you're here with us to to celebrate this and to do a little bit more uh processing like we've done before before we get to all that as always a quick reminder and this will have some information about what we're going to be doing going forward so if you skip this don't skip it this time if you want to support not just this show, but everything that we do at KTF Press, the best way to do that is to go to ktfpress.com and become a subscriber. And uh, you can get a free month of that by going to ktfpress.com slash free month. You get a free 30 days of the subscription. And that gets you the bonus episodes of this show, which will continue to come in the off season. Uh, we're going to do at least one a month. It's possible we do more than that. But uh, and then it also supports the free version of this show. It helps support the book projects that we're doing. It gets you our weekly newsletter, which we will talk a little bit more about later today when we're answering one of the questions, actually. And um, it also gets you writing from the three of us, which I met. Well, it'll be the two of us because Susie is about to go on maternity leave, which is another thing that we all are going to celebrate. Um, so we're, we're going to be off for um, a few months. We will be coming back to you in 2022, which is a little bit of a wild thing to talk about. But uh, in the meantime, you will, the, the subscribers will get some bonus episodes from us. And so we, we hope uh, some of you consider doing that. You also get access to the archives of all the old writing that we've done and all the old bonus episodes and everything. So, so we're going to get into our first uh, question from a listener. I think this frames a lot of the questions that people have around trying to leave an expression of faith that they've known for a while and find something else. Um, and this actually does come in the form of a voicemail and then a little bit of a clarifying question afterwards from an email. So this is from a listener named Julie. Hey, Jonathan, Sai, and Susie. I want to say thank you for doing this podcast and having these conversations. Your podcast has been a great source of encouragement to me because for this about a year or more, I, I've gone through a, a journey of convictions and disillusionment with the church and other thoughts um, around the social issues of our day and feeling more aware of those and um, feeling very discouraged by the church's response to the majority of the church's response. So it's been hard to keep a hold on 
I guess, what I believe because it's so murky out there and I don't know where I'm going to end up, but I just want to say thank you for being a positive voice in, in all of that. So thank you so much to Julie for uh, asking that question and for being kind of open and vulnerable like that. All three of us, I am sure, empathize deeply with those <laughs> feelings. She wanted to know our advice for thinking through what you do when you're, you are questioning not just like the expression of the faith that you're in, but your actual faith because of all of the injustices that you've seen around you and kind of what people, what our thoughts are around how to frame that, how to understand it when you genuinely do not know where you're going to end up as a result of the questioning that you're doing, uh, which I think is important because it's, it's just something that comes up a lot whenever you're having discussions like this. So mm-hmm. what do you guys think? No, I think um, I, I struggled to, to even jump in and, you know, attempt to, to answer this question or not even answer it, but just kind of address it, acknowledge it, because um, as you said, Sai, I, I do empathize with this struggle. And yeah, Julie, thank you for being so open and vulnerable and sharing this. And thank you as well for the encouragement. Honestly, it's, yeah. it really means a lot to hear that folks are are resonating with what we're putting out there and are being blessed by it and encouraged by it. I think one thing I want to acknowledge is that I feel like there is some fear mongering around even having these conversations that it's going to cause people to to lose their faith and walk away from God. And I think that we need to be addressing these things. Um, I think we need to be calling out ways that the church has failed to deal with issues like so many of the things that we've tried to to touch on and grapple with in this podcast that aren't easy issues. And, and again, we don't expect to have easy answers to these things, but I think that we need to engage the critiques. We need to be able to wade into deep waters. Um, as far as what you do when you're there, I mean, I think, and this is something the Bible actively teaches us, right? That I think community is so important finding brothers and sisters, even if it's just a small group that you feel like you can have these conversations with, you can seek with and ask hard questions with and wrestle with. I think that's so important. That's part of what we've appreciated, the three of us, in being able to engage with these things is having each other's sounding boards and then bringing on these amazing theologians and activists and practitioners who are doing really incredible work around these things. So we're really at the forefront of where the church should be. And so for me, it's, yeah, that combination of having peers that I can talk to and be honest with about where I'm at and then having folks that I can look to and say, you know what, maybe the majority of the church is in a really discouraging, disillusioning place right now, but I can point to these leaders and even if it's only a handful of leaders, but I can point to these leaders who are passionately following Christ, who are reflecting him, who are building up the church, who are incarnating what it means to be a true follower of the Jesus of Nazareth and not white American Jesus. And for me, that's made a world of difference. Well, one of the things for me that comes up when I hear questions like this is I think it says more about us than it says about God. Hmm. And I think I've mentioned this before, but 
my wife and I and my brother and his wife were, were having a conversation one day and they said, Jonathan and Nathan, like y'all don't believe that things are supposed to work out. And I said, no, I don't believe they're going to work. out. I don't expect things to be better or good. Like my, my expectations are like really low, you know, whether it be like racism, poverty, the context I grew up in, whatever. But like, I don't, when I think about God, when I think about what I expect of him and from him, the way that injustice or the issues of the day and the church's response to it, like those things don't change God for me. Mm. I don't know why. I don't know mm. why that is, but I, I wonder I wonder if it says more about us than it does about who God says he is, because God doesn't change. He is consistent. Scripture is pretty constant. The emotionally healthy question now is like, what is it? What does my reaction say about me as opposed to what does my reaction say about God? I think that the discovery of what we really value after that. So we know ourselves better. And if we know ourselves better, we actually can know God better because he made us. That was a clarification I was going to make. Cause I think part of what you're saying, Jonathan, is that Julie's kind of not off the right track. <laughs> right, right. She's doing exactly what she should be doing. Yeah. Which is questioning things that are bad mm -hmm. and sitting with them and letting like trying to figure out where that where that those new realities take her right mm -hmm. yeah and, and i think part of the reason i want to emphasize that that's not like the wrong way to go is that like it, it biblically it actually is very clear that the worst thing to be in terms of your relationship to god is like the tepid water of right Laodicea, right? Like yep. I'm thinking of Revelation three and yep. God telling the church, like you, you're not, you're not hot or cold, you're lukewarm, and so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Are <laughs> the words that he says, and like Jesus consistently goes after people who are lost. He consistently loves and communes with people who want to commune with him. The people for whom Jesus always has the harshest words are leaders who are oppressive toward people, people who are who are in kind of his house, who are in Christianity, who are in Judaism for their own self-promotion, to, to gain riches or glory for themselves, to weigh people down with unnecessary rules, people who try and stop his ministry actively from happening. Mm -hmm. uh, and then like his own disciples, like people who are actually following him, who he's going to like base his church on. So like that's the worst place to be, right? The, yeah. the worst place to be is unfortunately where so many Christians are, which is just sitting in church and like going through the motions or not questioning why things are happening the way they are, not questioning why you don't feel close to God, but just going through it because you want to like be a good person or you want to follow the people who are telling you what being a good person is or because you want power for yourself or whatever. So like being in the, in the wilderness, being lost, like that is an active part of discipleship. It always has been. And that includes not knowing where you're going to end up. Oh, that's and, a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I think I, I would even go so far as to say like church attendance, regular quiet times, regular prayer, like, you know, some people just f cannot do those things for a period because mm -hmm. they don't like, they, they literally have no concept for how to do that in a way that isn't being tepid in a way that isn't being completely formalistic and just doing it because you're supposed to. But like, I, I, and I, this is probably not something you're going to hear from a lot of pastors, but like there's, there's going to be a period where you don't hear from God, where you don't talk to God a lot, where you're not doing those things because you're, ha you're having to try and figure out how to do them in a way that isn't actively harmful to you and God and other people. And mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I just, Julie and anybody who's in that place, like, I feel really badly for you. I've been there. I'm not, I'm not always out of there. Like I, I just, I feel it. And I want people to know that that's not wrong. It is not wrong to like, listen to yourself and say, this mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. And I need to like, listen to that instinct and trust it. Yeah. The, I think the question of like, what am I doing this for? What am I going to get out of it? What effect is this going to have? What fruit is this going to to bear? Like, are perhaps the wrong question in asking about like the fundamental and foundational parts of our lives and concerning like destiny, morality, justice, and beauty, right? Like, I think they're the wrong questions because I think there are those are production based questions. Like, yeah. they're A to B based questions. And if Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are about relationship with us, I think we want to change those questions to who do we get to do this with? Because if I'm not doing a quiet time with Jesus, I don't need to be doing a quiet time. If I'm, doing, if I'm, a, if I'm praying, but I'm not like in communion with God, then I need to stop sitting there trying to make myself pray, right? Like the disciplines are organized to be with someone, not to do it, to be done and like have your personal righteousness list. Yeah. So many people hear the word discipline and think, I just need to try harder, do this more. Like, it's like, it's like making a schedule, you know what I mean? It's like, it's no different than a to-do list, right? And that is the total opposite of what we're aiming for. Right. There should not be like seven healthy habits of a practicing Christian. Like, (laughs) that's not good. Highly effective (laughs) Christian. Like, highly effective Christian should be like oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, I, I I appreciate what what you guys have shared, and um, one thing it made me think of was just past experiences, and I think this is true of really anyone who's worked within churches, who's worked closely with churches. There are always going to be moments of disillusionment, seeing things come out in folks that you look to as leaders, and that being sort of a stumbling block. And I remember at one point going through an experience like that, and just realizing. You know, the Bible doesn't teach us that people are going to be good and that the church is going to be good. It teaches us that God is good. And so if I'm going to lose my faith over someone else doing those things, then I think I haven't even really understood what my faith was in in the first place. Also, this this is this is something uh, I heard Ernie Kim Hackett say on Brandy Miller's most recent episode of Reclaiming My Theology, mm. is like, don't let racists take Jesus away from you. Oh, yes. Don't let the people who are distorting who God is keep you away from him. Because then like they've done what they set out to do, which is separate people from the actual God who gives life and fights oppression and is hope for vulnerable and and marginalized people. And I also think, you know, I I do think we're in, so I'm not a sociologist, disclaimer, obviously, Uh, but I do think we're in a unique sociological moment. In the church in the United States where just because so much of this ugliness is coming to the fore, not that it wasn't there before it was, but because these things have come to the surface in a, in a particular way, um, I think that more people are in this boat than we may realize. Um, and, and I think also being able to recognize that this is like, yeah, a sociological phenomenon that's going on. Um, because of political currents, because of, yeah, stuff that's happening in, in our country and in our world. And so I think being able to recognize that as well, um, because then you're bearing the weight of not just individuals messing up, but like a collective messing up. Mm-hmm. 
and a collective tainting the face of God and, and tainting the message of Christ. And so that's heavy. That's heavy stuff to be wading through. I think we need to acknowledge that. But just again, mm-hmm. recognizing that like that's a real thing that's happening in the world right now and in our country specifically. So, and then also, I just wanted to plug Tamisa's book, <laughs> even though it's not even written yet. But um, <laughs> I, just, yeah, I just appreciate, you know, as we've been having conversations with her, and I think it's folks like Tamise who have been on this journey and chose to size point to not be complacent and to not settle for being lukewarm and just accepting the status quo. And I think that that's such a beautiful expression of just passion for Christ and ultimate love for Christ, that you're not willing to just say, you know what, I'm just going to pretend that this isn't happening, or I'm just going to walk away completely, but rather, again, wading into the deep waters and then eventually coming out on the other side. I just think that's so valuable. And I'm grateful that, you know, we have the honor and privilege of being a part of bringing one of those testimonies um, to a broader audience. Mm -hmm. So our next question is from a listener named Matt asking if we could have a discussion around the direction the church is heading in terms of engagement with emotions. And is there a point where it has gone too far and we are spending too much of our time focusing on all of the possible emotional reactions to our words and can't speak truth plainly? So, yeah, I'm going to open this up to you, Jonathan, and Sai. Let me go. 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 Um, So so I have so many responses to this question because (laughs) I – so when I read this question from Matt, um, I got, I got, I had a lot of emotions myself, um, mm-hmm. because in the past when I've had conversations like this, what I think the person is looking for is permission to say things that are ignorant, that may be hurtful to the person who's listening, instead of saying, Hey, how can I say this in a more loving way? How can I say this so that someone might hear me? I don't know what to say here what's the right words? It seems like a resistance to correction and a refusal to be kind in a way that someone has asked for. So what comes up for me is like the resistance of our culture to entering into the pain of other people. Yeah. And I don't think that entering into the pain of other people is ever something that is costing the gospel. I actually think it's always something that it's moving forward because if I'm entering into someone's feelings, if I'm empathizing, if I'm sympathizing, if I'm trying to see where someone else is coming from, I'm actually moving towards incarnation. Yes. Mm-hmm. If I'm moving towards incarnation, I can't be moving further away from Jesus. Yes. So yeah. if the invitation is to be sensitive to the suffering of other people, to empathize uh, and sympathize and have compassion and ultimately pursue incarnation with our neighbors who are suffering. Because if someone who is angry or sad or depressed or traumatized, like, and we say, oh, like, I just have to make more space for them. I don't think that is love at all. And I think we actually need to like flex our emotional muscles to be able to be, to be strong enough to be able to enter in as opposed to, um, giving up because we don't feel necessarily like entering into that person's reality. And can I add another layer to this, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah, of course. There's, there's a way to fail to enter into someone's reality and fail to like think about or show compassion towards someone while still 
acting like you are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Meaning like there are plenty of, a lot of times this is like a, a reaction to, you know, people being too politically correct or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there are, of course, people, I, I see them all the time, having spent a lot of my life in liberal white institutions <laughs> who are going to, they'll they, they know all the politically correct language to use. They know all the right words, but they don't actually have any compassion for anybody. They're doing it because they want to be a good person. They're doing mm-hmm. it because they want to be seen as, as polite and non-discriminatory or whatever mm-hmm. that happens. Right. So I think that's what a lot of people are reacting to, but you know, people who might end up like using the same language or the same caveats before they say something or whatever, uh, often have an intent that is good <laughs> and Christ-like, whereas some people don't. And so it, it's a, it's a, you have to be a, a little bit more nuanced, I think, than some people are. Loving your neighbor and being politically correct are not the same thing. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like mourning with those who mourn and like being nice and polite in like American dominant culture are not the same thing. And I, and I think there's a, a poor exchange because the the definition of what it means to be kind in America is not the same as the definition of what it means to be kind in scripture. Mm-hmm. Or, or the definition of kindness in your family is not the same necessarily as it is in scripture. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's an invitation to, to do much more and it's most of the time differently than what culture is is presenting. And so... For Matt, my hope is that um, I don't think we're spending too much time focusing on people's possible emotional reactions. And I think speaking God's truth plainly is loving. And it can be done in a way that blesses someone and doesn't just disregard their emotional reality. Mm-hmm. And, and I think part of what actually like pushing into engaging with emotional health does is kind of takes you a little bit outside of the category that we so often think in, which is like, is what I said offensive or not? If you're really working on being emotionally healthy, like a point that you're going to get to is when you realize you have no control over whether or not someone else is offended by what you say. Exactly. That is, you're never going to be able to control that, right? right. But what you can control is your reaction to their offense. <laughs> mm-hmm, and and right. like whether or not you're willing to sit there and question your own emotions as you react to it and say, why am I getting defensive or why do I not like that they're they're be they've acted offended and like really interrogate and think about what this is about you and you can also sit there and say regardless of how I feel about you know their emotional reaction like what truth can I glean from how they reacted (laughs) like what in there is true what in there is right what in there can I use to to shape myself going forward and the things that I say and do so um yeah, I, I just think it, it doesn't it doesn't stop you from caring about when someone is offended or caring about that person. Mm-hmm. But it, it yeah, it just kind of uh, blows up those categories or those those ways of thinking a little bit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Susie, what do you think? So first of all, I love the way that you initially reframed this, Jonathan, to to move from a, an approach that is self oriented to an approach that's other oriented. I think that's so important. Like if we're just asking yeah. this question because we want to cover our own butts, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not a Christ-like response. Um, I think a Christ-like response is oriented to- towards the other. And when I say the other, I think the other who is, you know, our, our fellow human being created in the image of God and the other who is God Almighty. Yeah, that's the perspective from which we need to to be asking these kinds of questions. I also loved 
Jonathan, that you took this to the idea of incarnation. When I was thinking about this question, I thought about Hebrews 4.15, where it says, Mm -hmm. for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And, Mm -hmm. you know, all of the ways that scripture talks about Christ entering into our suffering in a way that I think is the most beautiful expression of empathy. I think the cross is the most remarkable, complete expression of, of empathy. Mm, I think yeah. Empathy taken to its furthest conclusion. Mm. Um, having said all that, this, this question also made me think about, and in general, this, this empathy debate that's been going on also made me think about some work that I did in grad school that I've mentioned before on the theology of hospitality. And interestingly enough, in, in philosophical discussions around hospitality, one of the questions has been sort of what are the limits of hospitality? And, and basically what that's trying to get at is what's the point at which the host becomes sort of annihilated in their attempt mm. to care for their guest. And so they cease to exist as a being. They cease to have needs. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, there are all these debates around at what point is it, is it too much or can you place limits on it? Would it cease to be hospitality if you did? And, and empathy and hospitality are often linked together as being very much a part of the same conversation. And what my conclusion was, and some other theologians talk about this, is that the, the third way that scripture offers us is a Trinitarian relational model where you can be a separate being and entity and yet still in full community that transcends what we as humans experience even as community. And so you can have this exchange of giving and receiving of love and care and emotional being that goes beyond, again, our, our full human comprehension of, comprehension of what that should look like, but then also I think is what we should seek to strive for as we seek to, to follow God and be conformed to the image of Christ. And so I bring that up just because the initial article that kind of sparked this empathy debate, kind of one of the arguments that was being made is this idea that when you're empathetic to someone, when you enter into their suffering, there is this danger that you'll just be consumed by their suffering. You'll lose your objectivity. You'll lose your ability, as you alluded to, Jonathan, but in the reverse, to speak truth. Whereas I love that you were arguing that no, like speaking truth is not antithetical to expressing empathy. They can go together. Um, so that's just a bad argument, but um, <laughs> right. yeah, but that's why I bring this up just because I think, yeah, I think, I think there's a false dichotomy that's been created there where mm-hmm. either you enter into someone's suffering and you're consumed by it, or you have to maintain this distance. And, and I think that, right. that Christ offers us a way that is so much deeper and richer than that, that transcends that false dichotomy that's been laid out before us by our culture. So as we're talking about like communication, feelings, emotional health, like we talk with Kyle, uh, Kyle Howard about ways that racism can be harmful in the area of how interracial multicultural couples like communicate, interact with each other. We got a question about how the families and family culture of interracial couples can also negatively affect marriages. So first of all, it's, it's it's super different dynamics when it's white and something else versus two mm. people that are not white. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is true. Yeah. So uh, not that there isn't like a ton of, you know, 
bigotry or difficulty between groups that are are not white. It's just that like, at least in the American context, the one has not sought to dominate the other one for centuries and there aren't the same power dynamics, right? There can be power dynamics, but they're not the same. Right, yeah. So I think, uh, I actually want to connect this back to our conversation with Chuck Armstrong because mm. we talked about, you know, within white families, like the degree to which you spend your time talking to your family members about kind of the racist stuff they say or, you know, mm. speaking up when they say things when you are in the inside. Mm. And you really have to balance the relationship that you have with those people and how effective you're going to be and all those things with, you know, the desire to obviously speak up and say what's right and, and correct people. That pressure just gets ratcheted up when you're married to somebody who's not white, because now you're not just thinking about your own relationship with that individual. Mm-hmm. You are thinking about your relationship with your spouse you are thinking about the ways in which they are actively being harmed by the stuff that your family members are saying and the need to stop your family members from saying those things. Mm. Uh, it becomes vastly more urgent. <laughs> right. So then if you are like, if you're the the white family member, actually, this probably goes a little bit for anybody, but this is the context that I'm familiar with. <laughs> um, if you're a family member and the the, like basically what's on you is to learn. Right. And to try and understand and to listen, to do some of the empathizing that we were just talking about so that you're not creating that pressure or increasing the pressure on your family member's marriage. And it's also then kind of on you to like speak up and when other people are doing it, because like it's it's a huge relief off of the marriage again. If like, you know, the cousin is willing to talk to the uncle that said something or the parent is willing to talk to the grandparent that said something or whatever, like that is where you can like really tangibly love people i think like couples might have to do it like interracial couples might have to do is just start drawing uh more bright line stricter boundaries around their interactions with certain family members and that's like obviously not ideal for anybody that's going to hurt everybody in one way or another but it is something that you may have to do especially around kids right like (laughs) yeah i i don't have kids yet but like you do not want your your mixed race child to be hearing stuff from their Mm. own family that is creating like insecurity about who they are or their culture that they come from. Cause just like the world's going to do enough of that. And what you want home to be is like somewhere where your kids are like safe and secure and all that. And so that's, it's just, that's um, an unfortunate thing that has to happen in a lot of places, in a lot of situations. So when I think about this question, the, the main thing that comes to mind for me is actually the ways that I need to hold myself accountable in relation to my family and and their experience of of my marriage. And and what I mean by that is, Sai, you're absolutely correct. The power dynamics really are different when it's a white person married to a non-white person. And and that's the case in my marriage. I'm a white woman married to a Lebanese man. And so for me, it's recognizing the ways that when we hit up against something in our relationship. And honestly, oftentimes it is related to how we interact with his his family and his home culture. We we lived in Lebanon for seven and a half years. That was where we got married and and lived as newlyweds and established ourselves as a married couple. And so when I would hit up against things that culturally were hard for me, I realized that it would be so easy for me to run to my white American family 
and find sympathy and an excuse to not grapple with why it was upsetting me and the ways that maybe I was wrong (laughs) and the ways that maybe I needed to grow and be challenged Mm -hmm. and maybe needed to change, be willing to change or just have a different perspective that wasn't just judgmental or defensive or yeah, thinking that my way of doing things was superior or just wanting to have a pity party. So I, um, yeah, I think that that's really important. And it wasn't just with my family. It was also, I was actually, to be honest, kind of intentional about not even really seeking out the expat community while I was there. Because again, I felt like I could have my white American friends and we could all sit around and just complain about things. And Which just, is what happens. Yeah, and just find false fellowship in reinforcing our way of existing because we all think we're right. And and I didn't want to do that. And so, yeah, I think that's more a commentary on just how I need to engage. It's not a judgment on my, my family. I think they've been incredible. Um, but just realizing that I need to be careful. And also to Kyle Howard's point, he talked about how particularly Christian books on marriage will reinforce these white American tropes around what it means to have a quote unquote healthy Christian marriage. And so I knew that I could also run to other, you know, supposedly good theological books on marriage and point those passages out to my husband and be like, see, you're doing it wrong. And I didn't want to do that either Um, because just because it's in a book doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean it's biblical. It doesn't mean it reflects Christ. There are power dynamics with how books get published and what gets put out into the world. And so, yeah, I really loved when Kyle pointed that out because that had certainly been my experience as well, that I just needed to be so careful and open to learning new things that I didn't know were true before and being willing to question my own perspectives and and allow this journey of marriage to unfold in a way that would change and reshape me without, you know, completely, you know, losing myself because that's not what it's about either. Um, But just recognizing, recognizing the ways that I've been socialized as a white American, even evangelical woman, and that there are things there that, that aren't always right and true and God honoring. As, as I'm listening to Susie talk, I think I'm just reminded of how much work my wife Priscilla does to be an effective bridge between me and my family and my culture and her family. Um, And I think that, you know, because she is Chinese and Korean, because she comes from a collectivist identity that I don't have access to. I think uh, black folks are selectively collective and it's definitely not the default. What is, what do you mean by selectively collective? So (laughs) black folks will argue among one another about what Black Lives Matter means and what Black Lives Matter, the movement should be and like all those things. But if you add a white person into the mix, we will be one group. That's how I've experienced it, because we just need to make sure that this other person from us understands what's happening. Whereas like the when we're having a kind of in-house conversation, there's much more debate and disagreement. Mm hmm. With Priscilla, what I've noticed is that she works really, really hard for her, like for me to be understood by her family and wants to be, and is just a mediator for that. Whereas I want her to speak for herself and my family. 
which is very individualistic. And it's totally out of the cultural norm for a Chinese or Korean person to have direct conversations with an el- with an older generation in another family. But I will just expect her to acquiesce to how I operate or how our family operates. Mm-hmm. Whereas she will like basically like orient me, invite me, set up ways for me to be able to have good interactions. Um, and so I was reading this question about like negatively affecting marriages. And I think the reality is, is just like, it's just difficult. I don't know if it's negative all the time. Um, certainly what Cy, yeah. what Cy was talking about with like, there's people in my family I will never introduce Priscilla to. I'm just not going to do it because of the things that would come out of their mouths. So there is a level of protection that happens there. And it's like, I, I, I wonder about the consistent difficulties for me in like decolonizing my marriage. And what I mean by that is like, I don't want to think about myself all the time and try to dominate her in our communication and dominate like and control the way that things happen. Because uh, you can't love someone and try to control them at the same time. Mm-hmm. You can't listen to someone and at the same time you're trying to manipulate them to get them to do what you want. And so much of uh, our society is about getting another person to do what you want them to do, get them to behave how you want them to behave. I think cross-culturally because she is not western we clash because there are things that i've been taught to value and actually like because whiteness and efficiency and all these things are attractive and so it's difficult for me to collaborate with her because it's cross-cultural collaboration Mm -hmm. and like so we end up like discussing an inordinate amount of things that i just would never discuss with a black person so another question that we've gotten from multiple listeners is why we don't talk more about current events on the show, current affairs. So I, yeah, we have, and specifically it's usually been like whether or not somebody like whether or not we're going to discuss an individual thing that has happened, mm. um, which, you know, sometimes we do, we had Gunther Isaac talking about Israel, Palestine close to when that was happening. Right. We mm-hmm. had, uh, we talked about leaving Afghanistan pretty much right when that happened, but two things one is like the the ultimate goal for us i think is trying to as we always say help people leave colonized faith the kingdom of god and that sometimes means talking about the stuff that's in the news but it also sometimes means we just have other priorities of things that we think are more important right like you know our ultimate goal with what we're doing here is like education and discipleship and the discipleship piece in particular i think necessitates having some more zoomed out, bigger conversations that are not about whatever's happening in the news that week. The other part, though, is we do actually talk about a lot of current events in our newsletter. <laughs> so if you know, there are a couple of those that are free. And then in our in our writing as well on the blog, like we have like when the Supreme Court case in June came down about like LGBTQ foster parents uh, in Philadelphia, like I, I wrote a piece about Christian reactions to that. And so um, that's a pretty quick answer. Jonathan, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. But yeah, that's that, those are my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like the newsletter, I think, is where that happens. Um, and I think what Twitter says is important isn't necessarily the most important thing. Mm. Um, and what mm. shows up on on our various algorithmed feeds is <laughs> not necessarily the most important stuff. And so I think taking a step back to have longer conversations about deeper things and looking for trends and patterns 
um, not just what gets clicks is, is, is more important. We also, by the way, we do have conversations about what we should react to as a company. And sometimes we do that yeah. like on social media. Sometimes mm, we do that in true. a newsletter. Sometimes we do that on a podcast. Um, and, you know, so we are, we are thinking about those things. We're not ignoring them. It's just not the main thing that we do. So last question, guys. Um, not guys. I need to stop saying that. Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so last question, y'all, I guess, even though I never say that. <laughs> um, how do we think that we did in our goal of having vulnerable conversations across our lines of difference among the three of us? I want to hear some reflections from both of you. Yes, I'll go first. I thought about this question a lot. And it's weird for me to say, I was very vulnerable. Um, <laughs> I did great. <laughs> I did great. Um, but some, what, it, what it made me think about was, I, I wonder if we took in too much content and how much it will be worth more processing. When I go back and think about the past episodes we've done, I wonder how much of what has been shared with us have i processed and been able to chew on and then be able to apply i think the vulnerability for me decreased towards the end of the season um because my my trunk was full like i had enough or too much for the journey um <laughs> but i'm looking forward to to processing more and working with y'all and hearing feedback from folks to to really be able to apply and process and engage with the content so it's not just like you know christian fast food not interested in that yeah hmm. susie oh so jonathan you commented on the the vulnerability part of the conversation i guess when i was thinking about this question i was thinking more about the second part talking across lines of difference and how we did at that and i have been thinking and, and do tend to think a lot about what it means to be a woman in different spaces and it's a challenge for me because I think on the one hand, there is responsibility that comes with that in terms of bringing, quote unquote, a woman's perspective. At the same time, I feel like part of bringing a woman's perspective is just being a fully embodied woman, like bringing all that you have to the table and being who you are, who God made you to be, um, not just as a woman in like all of your fullness. And so a lot of the times for me, I feel like showing up, not just on this podcast, but in any space, it just means that I, I need to give what I have to give from my background, from my experience, from the way that my mind works and, you know, whatever it is that I have to offer to be able to put that on the table. And, and I think for women in general, in Christian spaces in particularly, you know, predominantly white evangelical spaces. I think there is this sense that a lot of times we're sort of pigeonholed into this space where we can only speak up when it has to do with other women's experiences and how our theology impacts us as, you know, as wives and mothers. And, and so I think it's important to be able to hear women speak. And I'm not ta just talking about myself right now. I'm thinking of all of the amazing women that we've had on as guests, I think it's important to be able to hear their voices as practitioners, as theologians, as activists, as advocates. And, you know, I'm so grateful for all the women that have been on this podcast and were able to, 
to do that, to again, just come on and bring everything that they have to offer, speaking to the full body of Christ, because we're so used to hearing our theology contextualized through the lens of of men and predominantly, you know, white middle-class men. And there are things that are going to be missing in our theology if we're not willing to to learn from perspectives outside of that. And this this is a reference to a, an extra sort of podcast episode that's going to be coming out post the season finale. So a little bit of a spoiler alert here, but we're going to be releasing a conversation with Dante Stewart about his mm-hmm. forthcoming book. And one thing I loved about that conversation was he talked about studying womanist theology and how that's impacted and shaped how he views God and and his theological reflection and journey. And, and that just got me so excited because him saying that shows that like, you know, he's taking hold of the fact that womanist theology isn't just about theology for women. It's actually not about that. It's about learning theological truths that all of us need, specifically learning them from women of color. And that that's truth that the entire body of Christ needs to hear and to take in. And so I think just, yeah, hearing him speak that inside. And um, I think that's so important. Having said that, I'm, I'm also aware of my limitations as a white woman that I, I can't say that I've represented, quote unquote, a woman's perspective on this podcast. I've come as myself with my background, again, as a white woman. And I know that there are things that I have failed to see and failed to say because of those limitations. And, and that's something that we've talked about as the three of us as well. And sometimes I'm tempted with that to go into this scarcity mentality that Sandra Maria Van Opstel brought up that like, oh, that means that I shouldn't be speaking at all. And I don't think that's always the answer, but I do think it means that oftentimes my voice should take a backseat to the voices of women of color who can bring that. And so again, I'm, I'm grateful for folks that we've had on the show. Just phenomenal women that we've had on that have been able to speak from their experiences, from their expertise, from their wisdom. And I know that that's something that this show really needs on an ongoing basis and would have been severely lacking without. And I look forward to seeing how we can bring more of those kinds of perspectives in in, in future seasons. Yeah, I, I totally hear that, Susie. And I think we, we have tried to specifically talk about what we can talk about, right? I am not trying to tell you what a blind black woman's life is like, right? Uh, <laughs> and and I, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in that way, I think that was one thing I think we did fairly well was talking a- across lines in that way, like trying not to overstep um, what our what our experience can be. And I agree, we filled in a lot of those holes um, with the guests, there are more holes to fill in that we can, that we can do, you know, next season. Um, I think, I, I don't know when it, I have a really hard time assessing myself when it comes to like vulnerability. I, I, it's something that I ha- was extremely bad at earlier in my life and I've tried to get better at, I've, I've done an okay. I think I talked, here's what I'm going to, I, you're about to tell me that I did an okay job and I appreciate it. No, that I job. wasn't. I wasn't. I was going to oh, okay. <laughs> try to help you out. So my brother, Nathan Walton, who's now the new senior pastor at uh, East End Church in Richmond, Virginia. Congratulations. Hey, congrats Nathan. to him. Um, is, East End Fellowship. Um, is that he said, vulnerability is transparency plus risk. Hmm. And yeah, and I, 
And I, so I wonder, like, have you taken any risks? In yeah, that's, I, this is, yeah, this is kind of where I was going, actually. I think, and that's okay, a good cool, way to cool. put it. I think I do have, I am pretty good at transparency. I'm, but I'm uh, much better at it when it's not as risky or when I've already processed through it or what, which I think mm. is true for everybody. But like, I, mm. I, I think that's a little bit more something that I would like to focus on in future transparency plus risk. And not to say that I never did that, but I don't think I did it as much as I would want to. I think a lot of the things that I was transparent about, while they might sound like they are emotionally difficult and they were, they are things that are not like personally hard for me to talk about at this point in my life. Right. Um, but taking on, you know, some of that risk, a healthy amount of risk, obviously there's an unhealthy amount of risk, but I think that, um, yeah, doing that is, is something I could work on because I think that is a place where we find God. It's a thing that Jesus did all the time. It's a thing where we find like better communion with each other is when we're able to take risks. Any other thoughts or shall I wrap us up? I just want to say like, thanks to people who listened. Yeah. And if there are things that you'd like for us to talk about or things you'd love for us to, 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 to think about, like, please do send the emails and the voicemail stuff like that. And also like, uh, I think all of us would love to do more with what we're doing. So your subscriptions will let us publish more books your subscriptions will let us pay more writers do more writing ourselves do more writing ourselves absolutely so um so yeah thank you for those of you who listen and um we appreciate your support and your subscriptions and i hope you spread the word and thank you so much to you two i really appreciated doing this with you guys oh, with you two true. the last uh several months this has been a lot of fun Mm -hmm. uh, I Susie did all of it while pregnant, which is rather impressive. Um, Sai, you learned how to produce podcasts. I was going to say, shout out to Sai. This literally year, would year, not have happened without Sai. A year ago, I had no idea how to do this. No, I do. And it's great. I'm very happy that I did that. Um, and yeah, I agree. Thank you so much to, to the listeners. This has been not, it, it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been challenging in a good way and um i really hope that as many people got something out of it as, as they could yeah i agree thank you so much to to our listeners and to our subscribers as we said in the beginning of this episode it's always such an encouragement to hear that folks are engaging with the content that it's been something that they can journey with and we're excited to bring more in in upcoming seasons and episodes and yeah, I appreciate you, Jonathan and Sai. It's been cool to have these kinds of conversations on air. I feel like we're always talking about wrestling with different difficult topics together. And, and I've appreciated being able to, to share that with a broader audience because of who you both are and the insights that you bring and your willingness to be open and vulnerable. So, so thank you for that and for listening to me ramble when I have pregnancy brain. <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to Jonathan and I ramble without any excuse. <laughs> it is a convenient yeah. excuse. That's right. You can't use it next season. Um, um, no, then I can say mommy brain. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Thanks again. As I said, bonus episodes for the subscribers uh, will be coming. Like I said at the beginning, please do consider going to ktfpress.com slash free month and subscribing with a free month. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those will still you know, be plenty active. Our incredible theme song is by John Guerra, whose support we appreciate very much. Our incredible podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam. And we will see you all next year. When you arrive, I see a
and we will see you all next year. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> ba da ba ba da da da. <laughs>